Um, if you didn't, that's okay. Bring it next week. But I want everybody to bring their Bibles as often as they can so that you can flip through your own Bible with me so that you can see where uh, we are at. Hey, today we're going to be in the Old Testament. I promise it's going to be exciting. Sometimes the Old Testament, you're like, Leviticus? Are we going to be in Leviticus? We're going to be in Second Chronicles today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Second Chronicles with me. And I'm going to apologize right now to awesome Jake who does our screens because um, I gave, you know, every, every Sunday, if you guys didn't know, we have like scriptures that pop up on the screen so that if you didn't bring your Bibles, you can still follow along. And um, for the most part, I follow my notes. I can't promise you I will follow my notes today. <laughs> We're just going to see what God does. But we are going to start in Second Chronicles. We're going to be in uh, chapter 28, Second Chronicles chapter 28. And uh, we're going to start with this king, King Ahaz, um, which is a really, really interesting story. But King Ahaz comes into reign. At that time, Israel was divided between north and south. The north part of Israel was Israel. The south part of Israel was Judah. And, uh, and you read throughout all of Kings and Chronicles about all these different kings. Most of the time, um, I actually think all of the time, the kings of Israel in the north, they always did evil in the sight of God. That's what it says. You read through it, and you're like, oh, you're just really hoping. Will this king follow God's voice? Will this king follow? Oh, there they go again. And you just, I mean, it's like a roller coaster ride whenever I read Kings and Chronicles. Like my emotions just go up and down all the time. But Ahaz, specifically, this is what it says about him. Verse uh, 1, chapter 28, verse 1. Yeah. Verse, <laughs> I'm going to start in verse 1. I will get there. Verse 1 says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. Oh, again. As his father David had done, for he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, made molded images for the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned the children in the fire. Burned his children in the fire. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Um, specifically, when I read that, my heart was grieved. And I, I think about, um, you know, when we read about all of these different kings and stuff and all the things that they did, you know, we read about how they build images and they build, you know, all these altars and, and, they, um, and they do evil in the sight of the Lord. But, and I know that sin is sin is sin, but when I read about ch like child sacrifice. I, I don't know if there's anything more evil. <laughs> like if there are varying degrees of stuff, like I don't know if there's anything more evil. And I'll say this, at that time, child sacrifice, um, a lot of the times it was for the God of Molech, you know, little G. And um, little G God, yeah. That was not a nickname for Molech. <laughs> Little G, God, Molech. Um, and what they do is they, they, uh, they make this uh, metal, iron, whatever thing of the statue of Molech. And a lot of times they'll either make compartments inside the statue or they'll make it where his hands are held out like this. And they'll heat up the statue from the bottom and they'll build a raging fire to heat up the statue and, uh, and they'll place children in there. 
or they'll place children in the hand of the statue alive. I say this uh, not to be crass and not to be extreme, but I say it because it shows the desperation of people to try and be right with a God, to try and find favor with a God. The desperation of people at that time to try and be right standing so that they don't have their enemies overtake them. These are the extreme measures that they take. Now, we don't do that. But I will say this. That when we don't have the right understanding of God, we will take extreme measures. If we don't understand God's heart towards us, we will take extreme measures. They did not understand the heart of God towards them. See, they did this. They did those things to appease God. And in other words, they did these things to avoid, right? To avoid punishment, to avoid hardship, to avoid being overtaken. In verse 21, it says this. Now, in the time of his distress, King Ahaz, and we'll read on. But in the time of his distress, at that time, there were armies camped out, ready to overtake them. Distress actually means that, that they had, I'm going to read it directly. It says, now i got to find it. Distress also means being surrounded by armed forces in order or forced to surrender. And so you can think, this guy who oversees the kingdom, and he is distressed, oppressed, overwhelmed, desperate. And he thinks, in order to avoid these bad things from happening, I will go to extreme measures to make sure that doesn't happen. You know, we can walk with the Lord like that, like this. I will follow Jesus to avoid hell. I will read my Bible so that bad things don't happen to me. Or you can say like this, man, that thing happened to me today. Maybe you got fired from your job. Maybe your kids are acting up. I don't know. But then this is the thought process. Oh, I just haven't been getting into the word. We can think that... Uh, Let me say it this way. Um, instead of being in relationship with God so that we can enjoy his presence, so that we can understand the blessings that he's giving, we are in relationship with God to avoid all the bad things that are happening in our life. Do you see the difference? King Ahaz was not following God. He, he didn't think to follow God in order to be in his presence, to understand the blessing and the mercy and the grace. Instead, he looked to all these other things. What can I do to avoid disaster in my life? And sometimes we can live life like that. 
because we have anxiety, because we are stressed out, because we've been hurt in the past. And so this is what happens. We begin to build walls, shut ourselves in, do all of these things to prevent hurt, stress, right? Strain. And when we build walls, we're not just shutting out the bad things. We're shutting out all the good things. See, when we go before God and we have walls built up, God doesn't just come and knock them down and force his way in. We've heard this phrase before, God is a gentleman, right? Sometimes I think that's like kind of a funny saying, but it's kind of true. He doesn't come and force himself upon us. He comes and he knocks at the door. And if we're not intentional, we will live and have a relationship with God just to avoid bad things rather than to be in communion with him. And it's, it almost seems um, impossible to detect. Because we can think it's one thing and it really turns out to be another. The action is still the same. We should still read our Bibles. We should still worship God. We should still come to church on Sunday mornings, right? To have a relationship with him. But if you're in relationship with God to avoid disaster, if I'm in relationship with Scott, if I am married to Scott just so that I don't go into debt, you guys know what I'm talking about? It's, it's easy to be in relationship with God with the wrong intentions. When he's looking at us and he's like, I just want to pour out my blessing to you. King Ahaz was not in covenant with God. They had the covenant of Abraham available, but Jesus had not come at that time, right? And so there is a wrath of God that is portrayed in the Old Testament. When they're in wrong standing, God's hand of blessing, it, it, it starts to be removed. And so we see that over and over again. But this is what I felt like was from the Lord. Jesus already came. We are under a new covenant. God poured out 100% of his wrath on his son. There is no wrath left. And some of us in here, we need to be reminded that our relationship with God, when we come and we commune with the Lord, it's not to avoid disaster. It's to be able to enjoy the blessings of the Lord. God wants you to be able to enjoy life. Can you imagine that? Right? God wants you to be able to enjoy life and not go to these extremes to try and save yourself. When disaster comes, we have two choices. We either choose God or we don't choose God. Those are our only two choices. Because anything else that we choose that is not God, that's your choice. And it's all lumped into one because it's not God. And we see it over and over. And so as we continue reading about King Ahaz, it says this. Now in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. Increasingly. As the stress came, as the forces pressed in, it didn't force him to God. It forced him away from God. And then it says this about King Ahaz. This is that King Ahaz. Like he's in his own 
thing. That is that King Ahaz. There was not, not another king like that one who did evil in the sight of God. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. And then this is what happens when we don't choose God. It says, but they were the ruin of him and not just him, of all of Israel. They were the ruin of him and all of Israel. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God. He cut in pieces the articles of the house of God. He shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And then he made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every single city of Jerusalem, of city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoke to anger the Lord God of his fathers. We have a, we have a choice. When the stress comes in, when, when the army seemingly is around us, when we're surrounded, are we going to choose God or are we going to choose not choose him? And it doesn't matter what this other category is. You might think, well, well, I'm not choosing God, but I'm not really choosing anything else either. And the reality is when we don't choose anything else, we choose ourselves. You have put your, yourself in that place. And you become your own idol. And, and you know it when you say, well, I could just do it myself. Well, I will figure it out. And you say that over and over again. Well, I got it. Well, I don't need anybody. I can't trust anybody, so I'll, I'll just do it. And so sometimes you may not be intentionally choosing anything else. But when you don't choose God, it comes out. And so when you, when you listen to the words that you're saying, when you, when you think about the thoughts that you're thinking, sometimes we're not intentional about our thoughts. Sometimes we just, we just think and we just think, oh, those are just our thoughts that come in day in and day out. But it says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Well, out of the abundance of the heart, what happens before you speak? You think, right? You have to think. And so when you think, the words come out. So even if the words have not come out, pay attention to your thoughts. What are you thinking? What are you thinking about? Who are you choosing? Are you choosing God? Or are you choosing anything else but God, including yourself? It goes on and it talks about how King Ahaz, he closes the doors of the temple, which is the place of worship for himself as well as for the people, right? He's leading an entire uh, place, and he closes off the doors of the temple. He cuts up the articles that are supposed to be in the house. And actually, if you read it, he actually starts giving away the treasures that were in the temple to all of the other gods and all of the other enemies in order to save himself. Are you trying to save yourself today? And in doing so, what have, you given, what have you given up? Are we saving? Are we, are we living life to save ourselves? To save ourselves from hurt and pain? Or are we living life and saying, God, let me open myself up to you. Let me open the doors, right? Right? 
So that didn't work for him. Right? It says it was the ruin of him and all of Israel. And then his son, King Hezekiah, he comes up. And he says, this is what he does. Verse 1 of chapter 29, it says, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah and the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Thank God. (laughs) According to all that his father David had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, in the first year of the first, first month, Hezekiah didn't hesitate, right? He identified what was wrong, and he jumped right into it. Some of us, were waiting around for the right opportunity, for the right path, for the right strategy. And I'm telling you right now, there is no right strategy to go before God. Jump into it. Go into it. Say, God, I need you. Hezekiah, it says, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He opened the house of the doors and then he repaired it. That means that he opened up the place of worship and said, I don't care if it looks like shambles. I don't care if I'm in a place where I look like shambles. I'm going to go before you, God, and I'm going to worship you right now. And we'll figure out about repairing the doors later but I need you, right? He was desperate. And he didn't run away from God. He ran to God. And so he opened the doors, and then he repaired it. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, Hear me, Levites. Now sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord your God and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and they have forsaken him. They have turned their faces away from him, from the dwelling place of the Lord, and turned their backs on him. Before you turn your back, you have to turn your face, right? Like I don't, in order for me to turn my back to you, I usually, I turn my face away from you to see where I'm going. And what the people of Israel did was they turned their face away from God. They turned their direction away from God. They turned their vision away from God. And in doing so, they turned their back to him. You know how disrespectful it is when someone's talking to you and you turn their back to him? You turn your back, right? You guys know that disrespectful, right? If you guys do that in your marriage, right now, Lord Jesus, I repent before you. It's disrespectful. It means that I'm not going to give you my, intention, my, my attention and I am going to intentionally turn away from you. And that's what the people of Israel did. And that's what we do to the Lord sometimes. In pain, what do we do? If you get, if you get hurt one time, mm, that might have just happened to you, right? It may have been an accident. But if you get hurt the same way a second time, that's shame on you, right? That's what they say, right? Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Isn't that what they say? I don't know who they are, but. But usually when you get hurt, what happens is you brace yourself, right? I'm not going to do that again, so I brace myself. And everything tenses up. And we watch the people of Israel do that over and over and over again. 
and they brace themselves instead of just saying, God, keep me open before you. You brace yourself, you go in, right? Keep me open before you. Lord, help me open the doors. Do we go into that place of worship before God? Sometimes when you think about a football game, you think about all of the players. Um, the best defense is a what? Is offense, thank you. I was like, I don't know, maybe there's no football players or fans here. Um, but the best defense is offense. But sometimes as Christians, we get stuck playing defense. You know what I'm talking about? We, we get stuck bracing ourselves for impact. And we try and fight because we're just, we're just looking at our life and we're just anticipating all the bad things that are going to happen. We're like, we're not going to be blinded by all of those things. So I'm going to do everything I can to be on the defense. And so I'm just going to put on all my gear. I'm going to build up all these walls to prevent. And we live a life of prevention. And God is saying, I don't want my people to live a life of prevention. I want my people to live a life of offense. Not offense. Offense. Where we're going after things. When we're pushing back the kingdom of God. When we are finding victory in our life. When we're living a life of joy and expectation of good and blessing. Not expectation of bad things. Amen. And so King Ahaz and King Hezekiah, what is the difference? Did the armies disappear? No. They were still surrounding them. By the time King Hezekiah came into reign, they may have even been in worse condition because the Bible said that it was ruin for him and all of Israel. Did that change when Hezekiah came into power? I don't think so. But Hezekiah looked at it and said, I am no longer going to play defense. I'm going to go back to that place of worship and understand that the best defense is offense. I'm going to get before God, and I'm going to open the doors. I'm going to position myself in right standing with God.